The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. And welcome to episode three of The Wizard Files, the special interview series where we're going behind the scenes with former Wizard Magazine staff members to understand what went into creating our favorite guide to comics. I'm Adam. And I'm Michael. And joining us this time around is a man whose exploits in the office earned him the nickname Loose Cannon. <laughs> welcome to the show, Chris Ward. Hey, everybody. Wow. It's an honor to be here, let me tell you. Um, the, the honor is ours, trust me. Thank you so much for joining us. That that nickname has dogged me for a while. It, it's very funny in that that nickname, Loose Cannon, that actually came from an irate fan of the magazine. X-Fan, oh. I guess I should say. <laughs> Do tell. So I used to run a column called Magic Words, which was the letter column in Wizard Magazine. We know it uh, well. We've read yes, many it, segments of it. <laughs> I forget I don't have to set that up. You are the Wizard Magazine podcast. So it is the what I call the pre Twitter place where trolls go to complain about things and oh. shake their fist. <laughs> what a wonderful time. What a what a weird part of history and that a magazine dedicated five, six pages to letters, something that I don't think happened after. I mean, after Magic Words it was just nothing. I mean, that was gone. You know, there was nothing like that. Publishers so. learned their lesson. Maybe we don't want <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to uh, hear from prison inmates on mass. <laughs> but somebody got mad at you, Chris. Let's hear Someone this. got mad at me. We used to run a section called Weirdo Mail, and we would take <laughs> the weirdest letter and run it and make fun of that person. And it was supposed to be kind of an honor, like a roast, you know, you mm. the weirdest letter. And this guy wrote in, I won't say his name. <laughs> but uh he was talking about how he could only make out with his girlfriend if the movie fantastic four was on <laughs> this is the roger corbin fantastic four i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know if it matters it was a jessica alba thing we don't I know i believe it was the jessica alba fantastic four at the time so i thought he was a joke honestly so i i made fun of him and we got calls voicemails nonstop from this guy really you know, I'm a very uh, well-known person in Detroit. I'm high up in the country. 
I loved it so much. I mean, I've never been called that in earnest, you know, like we want your badge and your gun, your loose cannon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what I did wasn't that crazy. So anyway, good times. I used to get lots of letters from guys like him. And like I said, a lot of prison inmates. I got a Wonder Woman airbrushed on some sort of rag that I was afraid to touch. Oh, boy. From from prison. (laughs) A lot of stuff, and I poked fun at a lot of people that I think maybe now, oh, maybe I shouldn't have. Like, maybe they needed help in some way that <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this was their connection to the world, and you just yeah. you know, cut it off. <laughs> They're just like, oh, I can't talk to anybody. Yeah, and, and, and I got to worry about the cancel culture. This guy, 20 years ago, uh-huh. told me that I was crazy, and I yeah. called him a loose cannon. Let's ruin his <laughs> career now. We're going to dig deeper into magic words for sure, but Chris, we are very curious how did comics come to enter your life just briefly how did it get to the point of reading enjoying then becoming a part of the magazine that presented them to the world i was on a trip to disney world in third grade and we stayed with a family friend and he gave me a long box of comics and i read that box all the way home in the back of the car it didn't just have like marvel and dc stuff it had some great stuff but it also had a lot of now comics like um Green Hornet or Married with Children? Ralph Snart? Do you remember this? <laughs> I think I missed that one. Oh that my god. A bell. <laughs> Ralph Snart and like the uh, Terminator, you know, adaptation. Like a lot of weird stuff. A lot of uh, Ninja Turtles knockoffs, like radioactive hamsters. Right. So a lot of weird stuff. And I was like a weird kid. So I really liked that. And then I discovered Wizard through my comic shop in Macomb, Illinois, through the owner, Paul, rest in peace. It was called Journey Comics. And I read Wizard all the time. I loved the sense of humor. And then as a a Toy Fair came out, I was obsessed with Toy Fair. I used to position these Star Wars toys and take photos of them with like my 35 millimeter camera and like tape word balloons to them and send them to the magazine and try to make my own like strips. And of course, these never went anywhere. But you know, I went through college. I was a journalism major. Oh, you just ask about comics. I'm getting into my whole history. No, that's comics. fine. Take it. Take, move it forward. Yeah, it's all good. So I love comics and I love toys. And I was a collector of, of toys more. And so when I got out of college, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life. I was in a magazine writing class and the professor told me, you know, no one here is going to write for a magazine. So don't even worry about it. That's never going to happen. <laughs> That's never going to happen, but you should know how to, you know, in case you do. It was a really weird class to pay for. (laughs) (laughs) It was behind a Denny's. Is that... Now that I think a couple about of folding it, chairs, a picnic hey, blanket. Wait a minute. Questionable. Um, <laughs> so I sent off this packet to Wizard, and I mean a physical packet. Back then you had to like print off copies of your, your clips and send them in. And I didn't hear from them. I got an internship with the Peoria Journal Star, which is as miserable as it sounds like, writing for their agriculture beat. Uh, oh, boy. Which, <laughs> um, and I luckily was like, I'm going to take it. And then Wizard called and they were like, hey, if you can get here, you've got this internship. And I was flipping out. I mean, this was the biggest thing in the world to me. I thought, you know, I made it. I packed up my car and I left town, you know, everything like, I owned. You're like, it's New York City. Great. And then you get there and they're like, this is not New York City. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was definitely not New York City. My mom and I went in my car with the idea that, you know, if this doesn't go well, we'll just turn around and go home. I found a house to live in in the Penny Saver. I lived with an ex-con, a family from Argentina, and a- another guy who used to slide porn underneath my door and be like, watch this. It's very... <laughs> 
<laughs> Preparing you to handle magic words. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad I did it when I was in my 20s. I'm almost 40 now, and I'm like, I would have never done it today. It was a crazy, miserable situation. But, but talk about that arrival then, and so meeting the head honchos there. Who who were in charge when you arrived? Oh, I was I was shaking. I arrived in some ill-fitting suit. Have you seen David Byrne's suit in uh, yes. Stop Making Sense? <laughs> It was like an olive green version of that. I, I was a hayseed, you know, in the city. And uh, Joe Yanarella was the guy who interviewed me. And I was terrified of Joe right off the bat. He was a really intimidating guy. He's like an old newspaper guy. And I always respect and, and fear those guys. And it, Joe has gone on to work. He started or works at Bleacher Report. He's like a big deal at Bleacher oh. Report. Oh, wow. So he's he's kicking ass. It was him. I met Pat McCallum. I met, you know, Andy Serwin and Mike Cotton. All these guys whose heads I'd seen on these little action figures and just idolized. And now they're walking around, sewing, <laughs> you know, looking like, you know, because it's a real job. You forget when you get there. It's a real job. It's not just a circus. So there's this weird disconnect where you're like, oh, you guys are all crazy and fun all the time. Oh, no, you also have a hard job to do. So you look stressed. <laughs> So, yeah, that was the beginning of that, and I, I, I took it. So how did they outline the idea of the internship for you? Is this just a gopher job, go for this, go for that? Like, what, what do you do as an intern? No, I really got thrown into the fray. I quickly realized, oh, they don't really know who I am. They just needed to get asses and seats because it was me and, like, 15 other people. And I realized, like, oh, anyone who will take this, <laughs> they'll just take. <laughs> It really was like, bring them in, whoever. We need help. You know, they were just trying to put a magazine out. And I got thrown in quickly writing something about the Max. You know, the guy does the Sam Max. Keith. Sam Keith. Did an interview with him. I was writing about Spider-Man. And in, in my first article, I referenced Todd McFarlane. And I had to have a little sit down with Andy Serwin, who who'd explained, we can't write about him. There's a lawsuit. <laughs> and, you know, there was oh. all this stuff well, behind was, the Was scenes. the lawsuit with Wizard or was this the Neil Gaiman lawsuit years? I mean, he's had a lot of lawsuits. Suits. I mean, There's a got... lot of lawsuits. This, <laughs> at, I think they made peace later, but at this particular time, he was still like persona non grata. And I'm just like, okay, I won't write about him. And I just kind of like, I don't know, I, I remember working as hard as I could. I wrote a lot of the back page price guide stuff, which is what a lot of the interns wrote. The first time you get the price guide column and you get your little initials, CW, that's like, oh, amazing. I read a lot of those. And then I think they realized, oh, this guy's kind of funny. So of that whole intern pool, I think I was the only one who, who came out of it. Maybe one other guy. I want to say Brian Warmoth. So I moved into the research department and then... um kind of up from there. So what was your experience? We, we talked to Ben a little bit about, you know, going through the comic archives and things like that. <laughs> so what was your experience trying to sort through things and all the yellow sticky notes and what have you? I think I probably have mesothelioma from that library. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure there's some asbestos. So up in the top floor, there was this windowless library full of comics. And it was like the most amazing shit, you know, from first Prince of Watchmen. I mean, just anything. They just had so much stuff, except it was not organized. It was just so ill organized. And this was at a time when, you know, we depended on these comics to scan panels and put them in the magazine. You know, if somebody writes an article about, you know, Spider-Man's first meeting with Pop Goblin and take, hey, Chris. Go find that issue so we can scan in this panel. And it's not there. It's never there. It's never the one. <laughs> the one you need is not there. So this is pre-internet. I mean, there was internet, but... It wasn't what it is today. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not. Yeah. What, what year specifically did you start then? 
I mean, this was like 2003. Okay. So right in there. I mean, YouTube wasn't even a thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a nightmare trying to find these comics. And then if you couldn't find them, you call Mile High Comics and you order the back issues and that takes forever. But the most fun part of that job was getting a wizard credit card and just running out to a toy store, running out to Toys R Us buying whatever toys, whatever comics they need to finish this feature. And at the time, it was like, whatever we need to pay, just, pay. you know, blank check, which <laughs> bit them in the ass later. <laughs> no McFarland toys. Don't you touch those <laughs> McFarland toys. Exactly. But that was a blast that I, I did also love that comic book library because it was the one sound, free, peaceful place you know, you could disappear up there and collect your thoughts. You know, when things were stressful, you could kind of hide up there and take a phone call. I did a late night interview up there with Brian Michael Bendis, a career retrospective for a Spider-Man special. And I think Ben had a similar story. I think everyone has a similar story. I got done with the interview three hours and the tape recorder had only recorded my questions and none of his answers. Uh, and this is Brian Michael Bendis. And right. even then, I mean, he was huge. not what he is now, but yeah. he was huge then. And he was so gracious to do the interview again. And he's like, I called him right away. And he's like, fuck it, let's do it again. And uh, it turned out really well. But there's no feeling like that. I mean, just terror. Oh. <laughs> well, this is a one shot with me. You get see, yeah. Don't mess this up, kids. So, but Chris, in that situation, were you getting assignments more often than not, or were they open? Were they like pitch meetings where you're saying, "Hey, I wanted to write about this. I thought this would be a good spot here, a good fit for this column." Like, I was getting a lot of assignments. The research office was really a trial for a writer's position. Research was a lot of, like I said, finding toys, finding panels, and. I want to say you got paid to write articles on the side. So you got your salary, which was nothing. I, I think I made 23000 as a research assistant. And to live even outside of New York City at that time was, cool. you know, why I, like one guy lived in his car <laughs> was, the, was the legendary story. Like I said, I lived with an ex-con who sold meat door to door. <laughs> I would drive him to his Al-Anon meetings and to his horse races and in, in the evenings, I'd be writing on an air mattress, like the 50 hottest comic book movie babes, <laughs> like feature, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like missing home. And it was like a crazy time. But I would write these articles on the side and you do enough of them that they're like, OK, they're like this guy's pretty good. And then I got the full time writer position. It was really Alex Segura was my, my first editor. And to this day, one of my best friends who's gone on to, you know, he's the co-president of Archie Comics. He just he just released a Star Wars novel, a Poe Dameron free fall, which I'm holding in my hand. So a little wow. plug for Alex. I mean, all these guys have gone on to do just incredible stuff. But at the time, you know, Alex took a shine to me and we were kind of a dynamic duo as far as editor and writer. And then I moved up to a full-time writer. So then when you're full-time writer, I mean, I'm pitching things, you know, I'm pitching a lot of joke features. I, I lean toward the humor stuff more. And, and the dirty secret about me is I don't really like comics that much. I love comics, but I don't know as much as the other guys did because I really wanted to work for Toy Fair. And the thing was, I was doing so well writing for Wizard. Brian Cunningham kind of took me aside because I kept saying, hey, can I write for Toy Fair? I really want to. He kind of took me aside and said, we really need you for the flagship magazine, which was both flattering, but also like a bummer. Uh, a bummer. Because when I became the DC Comics beat, you know, I was in charge of all things DC Comics. Not only did I not like comics that much, but I didn't really like DC Comics. I'm a Marvel guy. And I had to pretend like I was so excited. I, uh 
had all these meetings with like Jim Lee and Dan DiDio and all these guys who are big deals. And like Jim Lee's like the best. And he, you know, he's a hero of mine. So that was like a big deal. I've got a card from Jim Lee somewhere. He drew me a Wolverine for my birthday. Like I got this, I can't find it. It's like a fat Wolverine eating cake. (laughs) I've got so much of this crap. Like I just got to find it all because it all went in a closet, but they brought me in a room at DC. They shut the doors and there's this long boardroom table and they make me sign this non-disclosure agreement. So I know some real shit's about to go down and they're about to tell me the big secret to identity crisis. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. They got this big thing. It's coming out. Nobody knows anything about it. And they, they sit me down and they go, Someone gets murdered and it's a big character. And I'm like, holy shit. And they make me sign this legal document and they go, we're going to kill Blue Beetle. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, that's crazy, man. And I'm like, who the fuck is Blue Beetle? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, and Max Lord's going to do it. And I'm like, Max Lord, no way. And I'm like, who the fuck is Max Lord? (laughs) I don't know any of this shit. And so... (laughs) I had to hold on to this secret that I didn't really care about. And for the next like year, I wrote about identity crisis and it got, it was, oh, I got to see Darwin cook through a drink in a guy's face. That was, that was pretty great. <laughs> R.I.P. Darwin cook. May he rest in peace. I, I mean, do, do you feel like, is that what allowed you as you moved your way into magic words? I mean, the fact that there was just <laughs> that little bit of distance that you could just mercilessly make fun of the people that were writing in. I think so, because, like, I did enough humor stuff that I always was jockeying to get in on the word balloons, because they pass around the pictures of the toys, and you write your little word balloon on a post-it note, and they pick them, your name's not on it. So the more my jokes got picked, there's nothing like that feeling of walking up to the cork board and seeing the pages up for the month, and your jokes you know, or on the page and you're like, oh my God, you know, that's me. I mean, that's to this day, there's just no feeling like that. Magic words I got because my good friend, Rich Ho, who also has a book out, a a children's book, which is quite good, which I don't have the name for. Rich was writing magic words and doing a great job. And Pat, I guess, didn't think he was funny enough or something. Pat came like storming into the office, holding a letter and said, Chris, if you got this letter in the mail, what joke would you make? <laughs> and I look at the letter is from someone named Glenn Campbell. <laughs> and I go, well, well, I'd probably say he's a rhinestone cowboy and like riff on that. And he's like, yes, yes, of course. Like <laughs> he's like, it's so obvious. And he's like, because Rich didn't make that joke. <laughs> he lost the gig. Yeah. Because Rich, who was not steeped in country Western music, apparently. <laughs> who has no interest in that, I got the job because I knew there's reference. So here's a question about that, then, because there's a lot of legacy when it comes to magic words, right? You know, Doug Goldstein, in the very early days, kicked off the whole X-Men versus Iron Man debate. Yes. And then mm-hmm. eventually Pat had to take over, I guess, just to get Doug out of the picture here. This guy, <laughs> he's the original <laughs> loose cannon. Yeah. So when you stepped into it, did you have any expectation at all? Or was it literally just Pat saying, hey, be funny? Be funny. I mean, I was nervous because that was my favorite part of the magazine, Jim McLaughlin's, you know, the letters. And I loved doing that. And you get your name, on it, you know, you get your name on it in a way that you don't the rest of the magazine. You're right up front. Like, you know, it's your voice. It's your platform. It was so much fun. And I was so nervous because that was a big deal to me. But I could do whatever I wanted. It was like, is a hot dog a sandwich letters? And <laughs> the insane thing is, and I think about this now, I would get these letters like, could the Hulk beat Superman? And I would have to call these creators who were 
then probably the age I am now, and I'm this 23-year-old kid, and I'm like, I need an answer, you know? And they're, <laughs> you know, they're in the middle of doing shit, and I'm bugging them about like, you know, hey, do you think she Hulk? Does she tan? What's with her tan lines? Or you know, some gross shit. And the answer was always like, I don't know. It's a, it's made up. It's, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I need an answer. <laughs> and they would have to give me something that's canon. And, you know, there'd be an argument about it and, and whatever. But um, it was a, it, that was a blast. That was probably my favorite thing that I did. And even at some point, a couple of years, I left New York and just wrote for Wizard in a freelance capacity. I only wrote magic words for like a year. And they, they paid me a thousand bucks per thing. Really? Wow. I mean, think about that now. I mean, I don't know how many people are writers here. But that's insane. You know, I'd get 10 letters and responses, oh, wow. thousand bucks. And that paid for my rent. I lived in Springfield, Illinois at the time. And it paid for my rent and then some. And, you know, I was writing columns, video game columns that were paying like 600 bucks, 700 bucks. All that's gone. <laughs> All that is so gone. So, like, to make any money doing anything like that was amazing like i i'm amazed that it even Wait, happened so, but you never made it to toy fair or did you live the dream at toy fair i i lived the dream and that i got to write some things for them but i really got to do what i really wanted which was write for twisted toy fair theater that's the only thing i ever wanted to do and to get your name in the collected edition of ttt to this day like it's awesome now I go back and read them, and I'm like, oh, do I want to read these? Like, are these jokes going to age well? Like, it's also, as a, as a writer, as you evolve as a writer and you get older, you look back at your old writing, and you're like, oh, I wrote that? Oh, like, oh. Oh, just I, the it's, worst. It's the worst. I know. It's yeah, I, I look back at that stuff. Like I said, you know, the stuff we wrote, you know, the 50 hottest comic book movie babes. Oh, my God. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, the, the misogyny was, uh, well, it's, yeah. you know, from the very beginning of the magazine. I mean, yeah. it, that was unfortunately something you couldn't escape when it is a geek fraternity, you know, yes. in that office. It's just what's going to happen. What's funny about that is, you know, I know that's like the legacy of Wizard. But even when I wrote that article, I was like, I feel scummy doing this. Yeah. So I try to make it really self-deprecating. I think I did an OK job. Everybody in that office was really aware of that. So when I started, I mean, I think of it as like this golden age because... You know, you had Pat and Andy and Mike, Brian Cunningham, and, you know, some of these guys. And then and then this new class starts to come in. It was Alex Segura, Jesse Thompson, you know, Alejandro Arbona, Sean Collins, Ryan Panagos, like Ricky Purton. You know, I'm forgetting so many people, but they really were pushing like indie comics and like a different approach to stuff. And like it became less about like boobs you know what i mean like <laughs> like we all were really kind of like really is that what we don't so there was kind of this push push and pull with that but I, I think they were mindful of of that that said it was a boys club you know we didn't have i think we had a, a, a one girl in editorial i think this girl trisha bastion wrote for anime insider and you know we had uh, jody westhoff who worked with me in the research office arlene so was a designer there from like the very beginning but it was like kind of a boys club you know it was dirty the office was so dirty <laughs> it was just like 
it was like a, a dorm room. You know, everything was dusty and gross. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't really keep track of things once I left. But I, I think there was there must have been shifts in that. But who knows? Yeah. Now, one of the things you're talking about kind of the evolution there, and it's nice to know, yeah, that there was some progression. But one of the other things was conventions, right? I mean, Ugh. that became a huge part of the business <laughs> of the company. And yeah. uh, so we, we've been asked to inquire about a, a certain experience you had when you stayed with uh, Ben and Ricky at Wizard World Chicago. Do you do you recall your sleeping arrangement there? Do you recall some situations with some libations? Uh, what can you tell us? Well, I was really shit-faced, I'm sure, because I was always shit-faced back then. I think I slept on a balcony, if that's what yes, they're talking that's about. that's what yes. we were told. <laughs> that was the least of the madness. You know, we pushed a chair, a tree, all this shit into an elevator. <laughs> And it made it into its own little dorm. One of the wizard staffers threw a bottle off a balcony and it shattered near a guy. And we heard, hey, and we jumped in an elevator and hit the up button, but it went down. And the guy was standing there. You know, I know staffers pissed in places they shouldn't have been pissing. You know, it was like it was debauchery. And to this day, I, I know I really pissed off Mike Cotton, and, and rightfully so. But it was your party, right? I mean, it was it was your event. Sure. I mean, it was it was nuts. We used to go into convention mode. I mean, convention was a lot of work, but I mean, just so much work. My God. I mean, we had to run a magazine and a convention. You know, I was doing convention booklets, all the copy, all the, you know, getting all the art. I was doing the Wizard Magazine. I was writing stuff for Toy Fair. You know, then suddenly they need me to be Galactus and pose for Inquest Magazine <laughs> in the photo pit, you know. And then after hours, sometimes around Christmas, I would work in the warehouse to make extra money, packaging toys to send out, you know, because we all made like no money. You know, we would take things from around the office sometimes and sell them on eBay, you know, to get plane tickets home. <laughs> Wow. But yeah, the cons were just, I mean, drunken, just ridiculous. 20-somethings, you know, unleashed. Um, I was always hung over at those things, I, you know, just ridiculous. So whether it was a, a convention or it was, you know, again, like research for an article, an interview, who was your biggest moment uh, of interaction with a comics professional? Oh, my God. I'm not really starstruck. I'm not one of these guys who's like, oh, celebrities, you know, like, it's not interesting to me. When I used to do the celebrity interviews, I would ask kind of stupid things. I just wanted a conversation. Like, I don't care what what's her name thinks about Ghost Rider. <laughs> what's her name? Uh, Eva Mendez. You know, it's like, what were the stunts like? What were the, you know, so I'd be like, you know, what's your favorite Frosty at Wendy's? She'd be like, <laughs> vanilla. And I'm like, no, 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 it's chocolate. You know? <laughs> You know, and then we just get into it. And I'm like, and then I bring the interview to my editor and he's like, what the fuck is this? Like, you just talk about Frosties and Wendy's? Like, what the f We can't run this. And I'm like, well, this is more interesting, you know? It is um, more interesting, actually. <laughs> but really, when I got starstruck was Mr. T, talking to Mr. T on the phone. Just my hero. I was starstruck when I met Stan Lee and he had a long line at a con and Jim McLaughlin, you know, and I'm always grateful for this. He goes, do you want to meet Stan? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he, he moved me to the front of the line. And he goes, this this is Chris Ward. He, he writes magic words. And Stanley goes, oh, I love magic words. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So meeting him was great. And then Harvey Picard was by far the greatest thing. I mean, I got asked to do a feature on Harvey Picard. I went to Cleveland. I spent the day with him. Listen to some jazz records. Listening to jazz in his house. I rode in his car with him going the wrong way on an interstate. <laughs> what? You know, while he's cursing. <laughs> 
you know, and then having a friendship with him afterwards, you know, two guys I had a friendship with after, you know, with Harvey Picar, who I would call and just talk with. And I regret not calling him more because, you know, it was Harvey and he would just be, ah, fucking, it'd just be him complaining for an hour. And, you know, I, I miss it now. I wish I had talked to him more. And, you know, Keith Giffen was a guy I talked to a lot. And I love Keith. I owe him a call. It's been years. And he's the guy who got me a job writing my first comic books. You know, I wrote some stuff for Boom Studios with him. And, you know, he's a hero of mine. So to, to, to have him say that I'm funny was like, are you kidding me? I was like, I, I can quit now. This is enough. Love it. So now, obviously, you mentioned the warehouses selling some of the uh, merchandise on eBay. But for <laughs> you, like, what kind of comic swag, of, of, if any, did you keep over the years or even just wizard memorabilia <laughs> from your time there. I have a fan drawing of Garib Seamus that someone sent in of Garib surrounded by superhero women, <laughs> which for years after Wizard, I would mercilessly troll Garib. I just hated that guy. Now I just don't care. But like, I just used to troll that guy so hard online to where I became persona non grata with wizard. Like I couldn't get into conventions <laughs> anymore. You know, I wasn't with the company and it was just, so I, I must've got under their skin. I mean, is this, did you leave the company under not so great circumstances then? No, I was one of the ones who, who quit on my own terms. It was sort of like, I was calling them to tell them I was done and they were calling me to say, Hey, we're cutting magic words. And it worked out perfectly. You know, I wasn't part of the great Sunday night firing. <laughs> yeah. And all that. But, you know, I was pretty critical of them afterwards. I wrote a concept album about Garib Seamus that I sold. <laughs> what is the name of your album, Chris? It's called Wizardry Volume 1 to reinstate Garib Seamus as the one true CEO of Wizard. <laughs> <coughs> wow. Got nine songs. Can people find this still? Is it? Oh, is it... yeah, it's online. It's on Bandcamp. I mean, if you search Chris Ward Garib Seamus, it comes up. That was an end joke that like 0.1% of people would get if that, but it was fun to troll. Now I'm kind of over it. But yeah, oh, I also kept, I've got a Wizard Fan Award for Alan Moore that was under my desk for years. I doubt yeah. he wants it. I've got Pat McCallum's toy head somewhere. I don't know how I ended up with it. I've got a lot of comics. If anybody wants to buy them, I got a bunch of hardcovers. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I got, I've got so much of that crap. I gave a lot, a lot of it away when I moved because when you work at a job where you get swag, it goes from being cool to like, okay, enough. I've got enough of this oh, stuff. I, I understand. I, I used to, I worked for Apple for a very long time and I had, oh. I have a gazillion Apple shirts to the point where one, <laughs> one Christmas, like all of my cousins and like nieces and everybody was like, Ooh, can I get an Apple shirt? I was like, you get an Apple shirt. You get an Apple shirt. There you go. There you go. Get them out of my house. I, 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 thought, you, I thought you were going to say like, I've got so many iPods and watches. Just oh. please quit with the MacBook Pros. I've got enough already. I do have a lot of those. Yes, I do have quite a few of like the classic iPod Nano and iPod Minis and Stuff that nobody wants, but yeah. I, I have those too. Pretty <laughs> fun. So I, I've noticed something in the last couple of interviews, including yours, is we've spoken to people that have started there in the early 2000s, around the time where Adam and I all finished college as well. So we finished in around 2004. I feel like all of you guys, you went in there and everybody burned bright. But then <laughs> burned out like yes. it's, it's one of those things where like you were pushed to the max for you know two years, maybe three years tops. And it got to a burnout point where it was just too much. That was the model because it was like, let's get these 20 year olds in here. I mean, who doesn't want to work for that magazine? Right. If you're a certain person, you'll you'll do anything to work for them. And they knew that. So it was like you work your ass off and it was like, Hey, I asked for a raise once and I was like laughed out of the room. I'm like, I think I was pushing for 30,000. <laughs> I had read an article at the time in the paper. I was just really, I was just so depressed and I was like far from home and I had no money and I was working hard. And there was an article in the newspaper that said parking lot attendant hits it big wins the lottery. Uh, parking lot attendant only made 30,000 a year. And I made like 23. <laughs> You're in a worldwide you're published <laughs> worldwide. magazine. Yeah. yeah, people would give me wizards. for They were like, I was at the airport going to Puerto Rico, and they're, here you are in Spanish. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, so I was like, hey, you know, I'd like a sandwich. So, yeah, that was very much it. it I had – I don't want to call it PTSD, but it was like our Vietnam, you know, when we left. Um, that's probably one of the reasons I trolled so hard was just like – I had so much anger and now I look back and it's like, like most things, it was, oh my God, surrounded by these guys who were the funniest people in the world. I took a trip recently. It was a wizard reunion. I mean, me and, uh, my friend, you know, Jesse and Ryan Panagos and Ricky, Dave Poggy, a bunch of us went and met at, you know, it got an Airbnb and stayed and I was laughing so hard. I, I forgot what it was like to laugh that hard. I had not laughed that hard and it had to be 15 years. And I'm like, we got to do this again. Like it was so cathartic. It was so great for me. But yeah, at the time, oh, they had this bathroom. They had the one locking bathroom at Wizard, which I would lock myself in. I called it the Fortress of Solitude. And I would just have a panic attack and then just <laughs> get my shit together and then go back out and try to write 2,000 words on Catwoman the movie or some crap. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, though, you were able to, to push beyond that. When you look back, how has Wizard benefited you in l these later endeavors in your career? Oh, my God. I mean, I've got a Porsche. I have uh, a trophy <laughs> wife. It's benefited me greatly in that the guys I worked with, and I can't say this about any other job, and I don't know of anybody who can say this. To this day, daily, we talk on an email thread. I mean, think about that shit. That's crazy. There's like 15 of us. We have daily emails about whatever. 
And, you know, it's all guys who work at Marvel, at DC. They write for some of the biggest publications. They've got books. They've got TV things in production. But through the years, I mean, we're going back to 2003. We've been on this thread. And, you know, we have like a weekly PMA, which is a positive mental attitude where we all say what's good that's going on this week. It's like a real brotherhood. Like we get together now on Saturdays and we watch Netflix movies and we riff on them like Mm -hmm. in the chat. Which is is crazy. I don't have any coworkers like that that I've ever met. So I would say that is the greatest benefit, just my friendships with, with all those guys and and the way we've crossed paths. You know, I work in an agency now. I'm a copywriter and I own a pizza place. It's crazy. <laughs> you don't you don't have a Garib themed pizza at your, at your <laughs> no, restaurant. That's coming. It's got a really weak sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I'm a copywriter and. You know, I crossed paths like I was working with Pizza Hut on something who was working with Marvel on something. And I'm like, oh, Ryan's involved. Alex Kropenak, who does the what the stop motion animation for Marvel. I hired him to do some work, you know, on some stop motion stuff. Justin Acklin, who works at Toy Fair, works at a sister agency of ours. So we can talk on chat. And, he, you know, it's it's crazy, like how we've crossed paths still. And then just like, you know, working for Wizard, it's funny now and I gotta. I, I don't know why you're doing this podcast. I, <laughs> um, I never really asked, but I would say most of the world has sort of forgotten about this, and I forget that people don't know what Wizard is. So I'll be in a meeting, and I'll be like, you know, when I was at Wizard, and everyone's like, wait, what the fuck did you just say? Wizard? Like, <laughs> you're a wizard? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and even now, I'm doing something at work, and... I mentioned that, you know, I used to work at a toy magazine and they're like, are you kidding me? What, what, to- what toy magazine? I'm toy fair. Oh, what? Like, yeah, you should be working on the He-Man account. <laughs> you should be, <laughs> you should be helping us with that. So I don't know. My career has been crazy. I've only did what I've wanted to do. Whatever makes me happy. I do it. Wizard and toy fair were great. You know, I got the pizza place. I like my writing job. I filmed dance competitions for a few years. <laughs> I was a certified pharmacy technician. It's insane. You never do what you think you're going to do out of college. If you go, you know, and I'm not even sure college was worth it. You know, it's just flying by the seat of your pants, I guess. So, but, but Wizard has opened some doors because, you know, I can say, hey, look, look at what I did. Here's some clips. But, you know, it's funny when I got my real writing job, they didn't want to see any of that stuff. They only wanted to see like Facebook viral things I had done. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, here's this 10-page feature on Harvey Picar, you know, and it's, it's in-depth. They're like, no, 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 we want to see this thing, that this video you made that went viral. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, and it is just kind of crazy to me for as big as Wizard was for, say, those 15 years and what an impact they had on the industry as a whole, where they were mm-hmm. really on top of their game and then literally just stuck it out until they were irrelevant. Yeah, and the fact that they've been forgotten, yeah, it's, it's like... Yeah. Those of us who relied on it so heavily, and then, yeah, it's like, wait, huh? And the people that don't recall, you're like, you don't remember Wizard? I mean, of course. <laughs> if it, if it, uh, the fact that it even survived that long with that name, which tells you nothing about the content of yeah. the magazine, yeah. it was the yeah. content that sold it. Exactly. It was what was inside. It was what you guys were doing that made it matter. And to answer your question, that's why we're doing the podcast, because oh, of what you guys put well, in there. Appreciated. Well, to add on to what Adam said, so basically he reaches out to me and says, hey, we both like comics. Did you read Wizard in the 90s? I said, yeah, I read Wizard a little bit here. I was a big fan. And then as we started doing this comic podcast, I realized my ineptitude on 90s comics because it's so dominant on, mm-hmm. on image. And I'm like, 
I know DC, I know Marvel, I don't know all the it's outside things, and it's kind of like a, <laughs> a a journey for me to like relearn things that I forgot even existed thirty years yeah. ago, which is pretty funny. Those old mag, oh, they're a trip. I love going through them with both cringing and remembering like some good stuff. I feel like a crazy person now because I live in St. Louis and I'm really far removed from from this what I used to do, and I'll casually say things like. Oh, yeah, I know Harvey Picar. Or I went to a Krampus pub crawl years ago, and I just casually was like, oh, I know, you know, the, the movie Krampus? Yeah, that was co-written by Todd Casey. That's my friend. I'm actually the reason he wrote that movie, because we used to goof around about Krampus at the magazine I work. And, like, halfway through the story, everyone's looking at me like, Are you, who's this guy full of shit? Like, what, what is this story? <laughs> like, he talked to – you talked to Mr. T? What? Like, it just seems like I'm just, like, making it a up, liar. Like- <laughs> I'm like, no, these things happen. They happen to me. These things happen to me. They are documented in printed form. Yes. Well, let's end on a fun note then, Chris. We got to take you back to the good old days. We've written some magic words. Why don't we, why don't we throw them right at you and you, uh, you give it. us a response? Oh, All my right? God. Yes, let's do it. So Chester Cheetah versus Cheetah from the Wonder Woman comics. Who would win? Oh, oh my God. Is Gail Simone writing? Because <laughs> she would I win. hope so. <laughs> Chester Cheetah versus Cheetah from the Wonder Woman comics. I think Chester Cheetah because he's he would cheat. Does he, isn't he also a cheater? <laughs> Is that part of the, yes. Part of the gag? Yeah, I think he would rub his like Cheeto covered uh, hands in her face and like throw dust in her face like in Bloodsport. <laughs> <laughs> like Frank do. Oh, I was literally just Googling that like an hour ago for somebody. Send him a, a, a GIF of that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yes, that would be my call. All right. <laughs> now it's time for you to settle the score here. Doug Goldstein may have set it in motion, but Iron Man versus the X-Men. Ooh, all the X-Men? All the X-Men. He claimed that Iron Man could kill all the X-Men, and it led to oh, years shit. of letters. <laughs> yeah, that's that's bullshit. <laughs> See, I- <laughs> I mean, it's the X-Men. They're mutants. They have all kinds of limitless powers, you know? I mean, Magneto alone, depending on the run, is with the X-Men, right? <laughs> is he yeah. a good guy now? Yeah, no way. Last question here. What has more value, the man called Nova number one comic book from the 70s, or a Chevy Nova? <laughs> we had a Chevy Nova that I delivered pizzas in as a teenager. <laughs> so I am very connected to that car, which kicks ass. Is there a real value for Nova number one? What is it? <laughs> Let's call Ryan Panagos and Ricky Purden. Let's get them on the line. I'm sure they can tell us. <laughs> we used to get letters like that that were totally incomprehensible. Like Ryan had a, a letter taped to his door that somebody wrote that just was like, what is the value of Hulk comic? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> All right. So I, I have it here. 1976, Nova number one. You could get the first four issues for $60. You know what you can't do? You can't drive it to a bitchin' concert. You can't. That's true. <laughs> or deliver pizzas with it. There That's right. Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been a blast. I it mean, really. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. I I can't wait to hear it and cringe at the sound of my voice and never listen. <laughs> but if people want to find your music, they want to find any of your awesome copywriting, where can they locate you these days and track you down? 
Oh my god. Well, I'm on Twitter as World of Ward, but I don't really use Twitter. Well, even if Chris is not totally available on social media, maybe you guys could drop him a line to that old Magic Words address, <laughs> and that snail mail may just reach him. But we want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of The Wizard Files. Yes, another case closed. And of course, if you want to drop us a line, you could write us at wizardscomicspod at gmail.com, at wizardscomics on Twitter, at wizards underscore comics on Instagram. But be sure to subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so other people can find the show. And now we leave you with a selection from Wizardry, Volume 1. Rock to reinstate Garib Shavis as the one true CEO of Wizard Entertainment, and this song is called Where Have All the Garibs Gone?
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.